This morning we're going to dive into Ephesians chapter 2. So I'm going to get you going and take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. This is one of those passages in Scripture. This is one of those moments that if you've been in church for any number of years, days, time, you've probably heard a particular passage out of Ephesians chapter 2. Matter of fact, one of the passages, a couple of verses we're going to look at today... Those are the bedrock passages for most people when it comes to salvation. Talking about Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, 9, and 10. So we're going to look through those this morning, but we're going to tackle the whole chapter, chapter 2. So go on and get your Bibles ready, Ephesians chapter 2. Before we go there, uh, I want to talk to you about a leadership moment. We uh, acknowledge, gentlemen, that for you, um, fatherhood but manhood is about leadership. It's about being able to overcome different obstacles, challenges in life, and continuing to move forward through them by the grace of God. Um, one of the things that we are doing together here at Calvary is quite evident on a day like today. Um, for those of you on campus, um, you know that today, for those of you on camp uh, off campus, online, you, you're not getting what we're getting right now, but it, it rained, and our canopies and our awnings are not present, right? And so you probably got a little wet this morning. Likewise, um, the sidewalks that we um, take for granted that we use, um, we're correcting and fixing a lot of issues with them. And so uh, some of you, you had to use uh, a makeshift entrance into church today, right? And you use that makeshift interest, uh, entrance into church. Listen, all of that is a part of us as the people of God here in New Orleans taking care of our house. And that's what leaders do. Leaders take people in places where it doesn't seem like it's a good time or they don't necessarily want to go or maybe they want to go but they don't want to commit to it in some capacity. And a leader, gentlemen, by faith says... This is the right thing to do, and this is what we're going to do. Dads, you understand that. And do your children always appreciate you when you say, this is the right thing, and this is what we're going to do? Do they do that for you all the time? No, <laughs> they don't. Matter of, time, uh, matter of fact, a lot of times when you're doing the right things, gentlemen, you're going to get questioned, um, you're going to get challenged, and yet... You have to continue to lead. That's the responsibility that God has given to you. Well, during this season of life, we as the people of God have to join together under our Heavenly Father and take care of the responsibilities that He's given to us here at Calvary. And so as you see today, yeah, you can't come in the front. Or if you do, you better have some really good boots on, right? might want to have wore your rain boots and maybe your hunting boots to get through some of the dirt out there. Right in the back and around the sides, you see a lot of things that are changing. It's a good thing. It's part of progress. It's part of doing the right thing together as God's people to be the church that he's called us to be, the people that he's called us to be, to make an impact not only on the West Bank, but in our city. And yes, even as you sit there today and listen to us in all parts of this state and country and world. So grateful for that commitment. So let me remind you today. It is a imperative that we as the people of God pray 
and we accomplish the task before us. But it's also imperative as the people of God that we ask God, how can I contribute sacrificially and significantly to that? And we've given a three-year window to allow that to happen. There are a lot of us who have stepped forward, and I know this, you've stepped forward and said, here's a gift to get the work going. And guess what? We have the work going. And then there's a prayer point and a commitment process. And here's what I've learned, because I've talked with several people. Well, I'm not sure what I want to give over a three-year period. Okay, that's fine. Well, I'm confused over how to sign up on the website, um, and I don't want it deducted from my bank account yet. Great, you don't have to have it deducted from your bank account yet. But it is an act of faith, and, and by the way, I did it as your pastor. It's an act of faith to say over the next three years, Lord, here's what I believe that I know that I can give or that you've put in my heart to give over the next three years so that not only can we wrap this up, but so that we can pay for it, right? So that we can have it done. And that's very important for us to do as a church. Now, for those of you who have been here a long period of time, you know something about me. I absolutely hate talking about money. You know that. What I want to do, I want to open the Word of God, and I want to teach you the Word of God. But also within the Word of God, there's something to be said about the faithfulness of God's people always taking care of what God has given to them. And through our hurricane, through our pandemic, and through some other issues, we are taking care of some things that have happened, and we need everyone to be faithful. So I want to ask you today, especially gentlemen, as you think about this, because you understand this, and for many of you, you're leading your household. Ladies, I understand that for some of you, you're the leader of your household. So I want to ask you to pray. What's that three-year commitment number so that we as a church can plan forward over the next three years to know this is how we're going to tackle it? And guess what? How do we do that? By faith. We do that by faith. And I know that when God's people step forward by faith, He is the God that responds to, to them and he responds in faithfulness to them. So make sure that you're thinking about that, praying about that, taking the steps to sign up for that, as well as being faithful in your weekly offerings as well. And I want to say thank you to you as a church family, because we couldn't have started if you hadn't have been faithful. And I know not only are we going to finish it, but all of this inconvenience of the moment, this place is going to look great when we're done. Amen. It's going to be fantastic and going to be a light to the city of New Orleans like we are. So I'm so grateful for you. Now let's get to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. This passage as we walk through the book of Ephesians this summer together. This whole chapter is a powerful chapter. And, and I took a challenge. The staff uh, kind of joked with me a little bit. Said you're really going to tackle all of Ephesians chapter 2 in one Sunday. But I thought for Father's Day, gentlemen, for you... There is the totality of who we are as leaders, as men, as children of God also for everyone else that is wrapped up in Ephesians chapter 2. And it's only 22 verses. So we're going to walk through that together today. And the first verse says this, as Paul writes to the church at Ephesus of which we've talked about the previous few weeks. And you, you, you were dead in your offenses and your sins, in which you previously, previously walked according to the course or the pattern of this world, according to the prince 
of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons, children of disobedience. Among them, we too all previously lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath just as the rest. But God, but God, God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come he might show the boundless riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works. So that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Therefore, remember that previously you, the Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ. You were excluded from the people of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who previously were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He made both groups into one. And he broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. By abolishing in his flesh the hostility. Which is the law composed of commandments expressed in ordinances. So that in himself he might make the two one new person. In this way establishing peace. And that he might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross. By it having put to death the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far away. And peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers... And foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, and you belong to God's household. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself 
being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building is being fitted together, and it's growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of the Spirit of God. Ephesians chapter 2. What a powerful passage to help us understand what I'm going to talk about today. The power of grace. The power of grace. Here's what I, I find in life when I acknowledge the power of grace. We all need it. Everybody wants it. We want to receive grace toward our lives, mercy toward our living. And a matter of fact, the reality is sometimes we misunderstand the power of grace. A matter of fact, when you use the word grace or you use the word mercy and kindness, and all of these describe the character of God, most people who understand and want that power of grace, they want grace to cover their behaviors for all of their life. But they don't want to exchange or allow their behaviors to be changed under grace. Here's the reality of grace that I find so many times. The people who need the most grace in life often show the least grace in life. Or even the people who are given the most grace and mercy appreciate it the least and therefore show it the least to those around them. People want to receive grace to cover their lives, their behaviors, their missteps, but they don't want to then therefore show grace to anyone else. There is a lack of understanding of the power of grace and Ephesians chapter 2 shows us, and Paul was telling these Christians in Ephesus, let me help you understand what grace really is. For most people, and the church then was dealing with the same issue that the church today is dealing with. They wanted grace for themselves, but they didn't want grace for someone else. How do we know that? In this very passage, Paul identifies two separate groups who viewed each other with contempt because of cultural norms. There was a division that was being created in the church of God, even in that generation. And it was a cultural division. It's recognized in history because what you saw is that early on in the Bible, there was this acknowledgement that God's people would go through a ritual, but also a very spiritual act for them in the Old Testament called circumcision. And that separated them from the rest of the world who did not have that as a practice of their religious faith. Now, if you don't understand what circumcision is, I'm not going to explain it to you today. You can ask your dad, right? No, actually, it's funny because today we don't really even think about that much, but yet it was a very spiritual, cultural act. And even in the church in that generation, a division occurred because of something that became cultural. And therefore, if you were circumcised, you were affiliated with God's people and God's heritage for a long period of time for all of biblical history. But if you weren't, you felt second best. You might have even been treated as second best. 
And the devil always knows how to divide God's people. But God always has an answer to bring his people together. And that answer is the grace and the kindness and the mercy of God to include everyone. And I'm going to tell you something. Even in our generation today, as we look at this passage, only the church of God in Jesus Christ offers that. Offers total acceptance, total forgiveness, total covering, and total unity for people who fall under the grace of God given in Christ Jesus. But what makes grace so powerful? What makes grace so amazing? Well, we're looking at this whole passage and we'll see today that as the church learned then, so today we need to learn this. The total sufficiency of God's grace. Total sufficiency of God's grace. Received by faith is the only way to discover true life change and experience peace. The total sufficiency, the total covering of God's grace received by faith. It's the only way that you and I have the capacity to experience a changed life, a changed heart. And it's the only way that we will be at peace with God and at peace with other people. It's the power of God's grace. When you have received grace from God. And you understand the power of God's grace toward you. Then you will begin to be and live in a different way. You will be at peace with God and you will desire to be at peace with the people around you. When I look at grace, I understand there is no grace unless I first recognize the total destruction and the, the power of sin. In this first passage, we see the total destruction. I'm going to call it deception because that's the word that Paul uses. There is a total deception and power of sin. And the totality of deception and sin in our lives is why we need salvation. And it's why salvation can only come by grace. The totality... And the deception of our sinful lives, it covers us and blinds us at times where we think we deserve. We think we deserve. We believe that we deserve to be saved. We deserve to get into heaven. We deserve for God's goodness to come toward us. But what Paul helps us understand that it's so amazing about grace is that we don't deserve any of that. He says it very clearly in the first few verses what the totality of deception looks like in our lives and what the totality of the power of sin looks like in our lives. The first thing that we see is that sin, deception, is destructive. At our nature, we are destructive individuals. At the core of who we are, as people, we are destructive. Now, here's the problem with the modern thinking of the world. And we'll get to why people think this way. We actually think that at our core, we are good people. But if at our core, we were good people, we would do a lot better for our world and for one another. At our core, we're all looking out for ourselves. We were dead in our trespasses and in our sins. We weren't living 
according to the way that we were designed to live. No, we were destructive in our core at what we do. I mean, if we're honest and if we dig deep and if we look at ourselves, we will all find men, women alike, patterns of deception in our lives, patterns that are destructive. And why are they that way? Because at the core, we are fallen individuals. We miss the mark, and the Bible calls that sin. The Bible says we were dead in our offenses and our sins. We were destructive in our ways. We were offensive toward God. Do you ever think in your life, oh, I offended God? But at the core of who we are, we have to receive the bad news before we can receive grace. Because we will think that we deserve the kindness and the mercy and the grace of God if at our core we think that we're good. The Bible says, no, 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 no. If that were the case, you wouldn't need mercy. If that were the case, a select few would make it into heaven instead of anyone who would turn to God by grace. When's the last time you met a perfect human? When's the last time, gentlemen, you met a perfect man, a perfect leader? Ladies, when's the first time, last time you've met a perfect individual? You never have, nor will you ever. And these are parts of human nature that we have to deal with and that can only be dealt with under the grace and the life-changing power of knowing Jesus and receiving him by faith. The Bible says that deception and sin is destructive. It also comes from the world. It says, you previously walked in these ways according to the path of the world. Now, all we have to do is check your social media, check TV. Um, usually just look on your phone, um, look around, you open your eyes, and, and you will see the natural path of people in the world. I mean, it's interesting today. All you have to do is read an article and find out even today, now more than ever it seems, if someone is doing something wrong and you offend them, they want to justify their behavior as right behavior and they want to shame someone else who calls out their behavior. And you see that a lot in a lot of different aspects of life and a lot of different aspects of media. Why is that? It's the pattern of the world. That is what people naturally do justify their behavior, justify destruction, and they follow the crowd, which is the way of the world. When we begin to see those things and acknowledge them for what we are, then we're getting closer to going, wait a minute, then I'm going to have to really understand what love, kindness, mercy, and grace means. Not only is it worldly, it's spiritual. The fallenness, the power of deception and sin, it's a spiritual battle Paul says, all of this happened according to the power of the prince of the air and the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Do you realize that it is a spiritual battle? Later on in Ephesians, we're going to look at how to fight that. But deception is spiritual. You realize so many times you can believe that you're doing something right and yet you are so far from the truth and you can't even see it. I heard Gail Benson this week say, there are times in life where we pray so hard for something fervently and God doesn't answer. Have you ever been there? I've been there. And then she said, you know what I've discovered in that about faith is that the reality of when you pray so hard and God doesn't answer, it's because he has something better for you as his child. 
there are spiritual battles going on all around us, and they happen in our world. And those are a part of the deception of sometimes things that we cannot see nor do we understand. That's why we need grace. It's a spiritual battle. The power of sin and deception is also divisive. What you see in this passage is there is this divisiveness that occurs. Do you see any divisiveness in the world today? Do you feel any divisiveness in your life towards someone else because of what they believe or maybe how they look or maybe where they come from? All of that is a worldly, spiritual deception and the power of sin that's happening in the world. And Paul calls it out. And he says that is deceptive, that is sin, that is spiritual, that is destructive, and that is not of Christ. That is not who you are. That's how everybody else is, but that's not who you are as a child of God. He not only points out the divisiveness, but ultimately this is deadly. The deception and the power of sin is deadly. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and your sins. You weren't on life support. You weren't living before you knew Christ. You were literally a walking dead person. You are separated from God, even though alive. And a lot of the power of sin and deception and destructive in the world is that most of us, most people don't realize when we follow that pathway, we may think that we're alive, feel that we're alive. We may be like the world, but we are spiritually dead, separated from God. And it's only a matter, matter of time before the power of that death and destruction comes full circle in our lives. And we end up not even in the family of God, not even called children of God. When you realize how bad deception, sin, destruction, the spiritual battles are against you as a person, and then you begin to be honest and go, yeah, they take their effect on me. I sometimes look more like the world, act more like the world than I do as a child of God. Then you begin to understand so. If God would show me grace in spite of all of that and save me in spite of all that, then that's got to be really good. I have to understand the bad news first before I can receive the good news. And what's the good news? As Paul talks about in the middle part of Ephesians chapter 2, there is this reality of the surpassing riches of God's grace. The surpassing riches of God's grace. He tells them God's grace is so rich, it surpasses all of your frailties, your fallenness, all of your problems. And once you're willing to acknowledge how deep you are in the world and to come out of that because of the mercy, the kindness, the goodness of God, then you can begin to not reflect who the world is and begin to reflect more of who Christ is within you. What are the surpassing riches of God's grace? He acknowledges that God is rich in mercy. He's rich in mercy. So God is merciful and kind. God is merciful and kind. There is a reality that if God rewarded us for our actions, <laughs> then we're all in a heap of trouble. <laughs> If God paid us according to anything that we've done against his will, it only takes one. 
And there is no scale up there in heaven where God's putting a little gold on this side and a little dross on this side with your life. That's not how God is. That may be how it looks like on your cartoons or, or on television or people want to think about God, but that's not how God works. That's how people work. And that's how people who create a God in their image work. But that's not how the God of heaven who's created us in his image work. He is a God who has mercy and kindness over the issues of our life where we fail. And that is rich toward us. That is special. That is unique. There is not another religion or philosophical think, way of thinking on the planet that offers anybody the mercy and the kindness of God to cover their sins. There's not one. There's no other way that people can get into heaven not based on their own worthiness, but based on the worthiness of someone else, a sacrifice, a perfect individual. There's no other belief system. Therefore, the Bible is very clear. There is no other way given to people whereby you can be saved except the name of Jesus. There's only one way. And it's because God is merciful and kind. But how? He's merciful and kind through what? His great love. Another part of God's character is his great love. And as Paul spells this out in Ephesians chapter 2, one of the character traits of God toward us in spite of our brokenness, in spite of the power of sin, is his love for us. He loves us. It's not about how worthy we prove ourselves to be to him. It's about how he views us as his children. And he loves his children. He loves fervently his children. He's like the best dad ever. There's not one thing that he wouldn't do for the kids that he loves. And he loves everybody, but not everybody receives the grace. Why? Because not everybody wants to turn from the power of deception and sin to the surpassing riches of his mercy, his kindness, and his love. Grace makes us alive with him. The Bible says, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, he made us alive together with Christ. Which means this, as a follower of Jesus who's received his grace and kindness and love by faith, you are learning how to truly live. You're learning how to truly live. It also means this. Those without the grace and the mercy of God who are not being transformed to the will of God. They're not really living. Now, I realize it looks really good when people post their best selfie and Photoshop it, Photoshop it on Instagram. Or they're using their good TikTok or they're using their other forms of social media or even the best things that people will put. I get it. Everybody wants you to see their best. Nobody wants you to see their real self. But God sees the real us. He sees the real you. And he works in our lives through the power of Christ to remove us from death and place us into life by living in our relationship with Jesus. He made us alive in Christ. He moved us from death of sin, destruction, deception, and spiritual darkness and worldliness. He moves us into a new relationship with him that really looks like living. And that life is a life that is freely given. That is something that he has freely given. That's where he says, by grace, you have been saved through faith. 
And that is not from yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast of the gift that is given to them of salvation. You can't boast about it because you didn't earn it. I didn't earn it. We can't earn it. It's freely given. That's grace. Freely given. And how do you and I receive the grace of God? By faith. By faith we receive it. For by grace you have been saved through faith. You believe in the mercy, the love, the kindness, the goodness of God. You receive by faith the redemption, the salvation of your soul through Jesus. And when you do that by faith, that is not of works. That's not you trying to say, well, I'm a better person than this person. So God, maybe you'll let me in. Well, I've done this number of good works and therefore I've deserved. No, 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 no. It's by grace. It is God's gift. And the only way that it changes who we are is it's received by faith. And that then leads to the third and the final thing that Paul then really tries to hammer home. You see, there's a lot of talk about grace in the church. Grace covers our sins. Grace is something that we all receive but yet sometimes we don't want to show it towards someone else. We don't want to give them the benefit of the doubt or understanding. And therefore, we're not willing to show grace even when we receive the most. Even when we require the most. Even when we want people to show it to us, we're not really going to show it to them. And Paul nips that in the bud too. Because the whole second part of the passage, which we look over so many times, is all about the transformation that happens in someone who has experienced peace in Christ. There is a transformation that must occur in the lives of those who receive grace. Why? Because when you realize how bad you had it, and you realize how good God is to give you a second chance and a salvation, a new life, then you don't want to screw it up. You were created to do good works. You were created to be something better. You were created to break down walls and to become a light of Christ in your world. And so he describes certain things that happen in the people who have been transformed by the power of grace. Number one, he says, you were created for good works. Why do people want to do good works? Well, some people want to do good works because they think it will get them into heaven. But you can't get into heaven without faith in Jesus and receiving the grace of God. It's only by God's grace that we get in. But once you have understood God's kindness, his love, his mercy, and that he's created you to be different from the deception, the brokenness, the destruction of the world, then your good works flow because you have received grace. You were created to do good. Why do Christians want to be better people? Why do you want to be a good person as a follower of Jesus? Because you were made by God to be that way, to do that. But what's the motive behind why you do the good works that you try to do? Is it because you want to impress? Well, God's not impressed by us. He's kind of at that age where nothing really impresses him that much, right? He's seen it all, been there, done it all, right? Um, is it because you want someone to see you do a good work? Well, Jesus said that very clear. If that's your motive, then you have your reward, but you got nothing in heaven. 
Matter of fact, if you receive grace in this life, but you don't show grace towards someone else, even Jesus has some very clear parables about where you're going to end up if that's how you approach life. No, no, no. What's the motive? The motive is once I've realized how bad I have it, but how good God is to give me something else, then I want to reflect him, not what I came out of. I want to change, and therefore I want to do good for the Lord and for others. I was created. Why? Because I am his workmanship. I want to be about his work, doing his work, because I am a recipient of his grace. The Bible also says that we were far away, but by grace we have come near to God. You ever felt near to God? I mean, do you have that moment where maybe you've been somewhere and you've sat still and you feel the presence of God? I felt it this morning. Why would you feel near to God? What's so big about being near to God? The recognition that once I was far away. Once I was not in his family. Once I did not belong to him. But now by his grace, he's brought me out of darkness, deception, death. He's brought me into life, mercy, love, and grace. Therefore, I am near to him. Being near to him means that I am going to live in such a way where there are moments of glory that shine from my life and from yours. Because I feel God, know God, sense God, there are moments where I'm going to reflect God, where I'm going to shine the light of God to those around me because we're close. If I'm distant from God, well, what am I going to do? I'm going to show actions, be a part of things that show a separation between God and myself. But when I'm close to him, I reflect a peace of relationship with him. A, a desire to honor the one who has rescued me. And therefore, I'm going to reflect that nearness, that closeness in my personal relationship with him. The Bible says that we become fellow citizens. Fellow citizens of his kingdom. Therefore, our boast is in the kingdom of heaven. We belong to the family of God. We are a part of the body of Christ, those who have been saved and redeemed by Jesus. We are not isolated, which is one of the great dangers in our lives because we're independent, because we want to figure it all out on our own. No, we belong to Christ, and therefore we belong to all of the body of Christ, which, by the way, makes a really healthy, strong church. It makes a really healthy, strong group of people doing His will because they are following this life pattern that has been changed by the grace of God. They're willing to show grace to one another. And in that, in the second half of the Scripture, Paul talks about the fact that these people are then fellow citizens with the saints of God, part of God's household, and they are a holy temple of God. Most of our lives can be reflected by some unholy actions. But when you have received the grace of God in your life by faith, God is making you holy. He's building you up into being something better than you were prior to having Jesus in your life. Do you see that as a Christian? 
Do you see a growth occurring in your life? If not, as a Christian, maybe perhaps you've received Jesus by faith, but you don't see the growth. Maybe it's because you've fallen asleep, just like the church did then, into this whole action-oriented. Maybe if I do this, then it's better than when I do this. And maybe you've been lulled to sleep into that belief system instead of saying, Jesus, your grace has rescued me. And therefore, I need this type of transformation that reflects the life that you've given to me. And therefore, I'm going to let it flow out of a motive that is love and pure. And God, only you can make me holy. God is at work in you by grace, building you into something better today than you were prior to knowing Jesus. That's a good thing. And Paul reminded them of that. Why? Well, that's the last thing. Because the grace of God that transforms our life not only helps us do good, reflects the peace of being near to God, shows us that we are fellow citizens of the kingdom and holy. The grace of God unifies people. When you've received grace and you understand grace, you show grace. But if you don't understand grace, then you won't show grace to anyone else. Matter of fact, you will want to receive it, want to have the forgiveness, but you won't express that to anyone else. In that passage that we read today, basically it was a discussion between Gentiles and Hebrews. It was a cultural discussion between those who had a certain mark in their skin and another group who didn't have a mark in their skin. Can you see how that would get extremely divisive really quick, way back when? I just wonder, have you seen anything get really divisive, let's say in the last 18 months of life? And do you still see those things happening? What's awesome about the grace of Jesus is that he unifies those who are so grateful to have received his mercy, his kindness, his love, his goodness, his covering over all of their deception, all of the destruction, all of the sinfulness, all of the worldliness, all of the moments where they were blind because of spiritual blindness. And when they've received by grace, through faith, Jesus and salvation, then they become people who are people of peace. Not people of division, but they are people who unify. They unify the church. They unify one another. They help people understand there is a bigger life to be lived than a life of the world. There's the life that comes through knowing Christ. And everyone who lives under the authority of the grace of God in Christ, who has been saved from the badness and received the goodness, now reflects the peace of a new relationship. And they begin to work and they begin to reflect and they begin to unify and become children of God, part of a family of God that yes, even Ephesians 2 says that one day will be reflected to the entire world. That's God's plan for you in grace. Are you thankful for grace today? Let me ask you this question. Are you ready to show grace today? To receive that kind of mercy and that kind of grace. Listen, I know a lot of people. Hey, listen, EGR, extra grace required, right? And sometimes there are people who are EGR in our lives, extra grace required. Maybe, maybe you're one of those. Maybe I, I need a lot of grace. Okay, great. Then receive that from God, but do something else. Show that to someone else. Because that's the way that the church then changed its world. And quite frankly, 
the church of the United States of America. It's the only way that we will make a difference moving ahead. It's the only way you break down walls, you beat destruction. It's the only way. How? For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And that is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that none of us can boast. Let's pray together as we bow our heads and as we thank our Heavenly Father today for His grace. I just want to give you a moment right where you are, both online and in the room. Have you received God's saving grace in your life? I'm not talking about your works. I'm not talking about how good you are or how bad you've been. Have you received the saving gift of God's grace through Jesus Christ? If you have not, then I want to give you a moment to do so right now. And I want you to acknowledge God. Father in heaven, thank you for your mercy, your kindness, your love, your grace. That you would be willing to forgive my sins and make me your child. Thank you that you sent your son Jesus as the only perfect person who could take my place and forgive my sins on a cross and who would raise from the dead, not only alive, but who would live in me and teach me how to live. Today, I ask you for your grace. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you today, and you've never done that before with an authentic, genuine heart, then you have just entered the family of God. And if today, Christian, you have received that grace, but you are not living under that grace, you're not reflecting that peace, that relationship, then today, right now, lay it all down. Start over. Get a new start. That's how much God loves you. And that's how much He wants you as His child to live in the power of His grace. Father, I thank you today for your children. I thank you today for your church. And I thank you for the way that you show us how to live in the power of your grace. It's in the name above every name that I pray, the name of Jesus. Amen. Will you stand to your feet with me? Today we want to close with an anthem of faith that talks about how strong our Lord is. And on this Father's Day, gentlemen, thank you for being in church. Thank you for worshiping. And I pray that you all will receive and reflect the power of God's grace in your life. And I know that even as we sing today and as we go from this place in a moment, you will not be like the world. You will be the children of God saved by His grace. Amen.